and we're back with plenty to talk about on this episode of Dole Capital. My name is Ben. On the show, you'll be hearing Jacob and I chat with our special guest, Jose Munoz, about recent developments in Chile and more news confirming the Australian government's disgraceful actions against the then democratic socialist government of Chile in the early 1970s. We're on Patreon. This show wouldn't be possible without our patrons and supporters. So thank you to our donors. You can join us, um, join Patreon and support us at Dole Capital by going to Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Dole Capital, D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L. That's Dole Capital. And as little as $5, um, no more than 20. We're pretty cheap. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, why not like the show, share it, and subscribe to the uh, regular shows as they come out? Um, leave us a review. We'd love that as well, wouldn't we, Jacob? Absolutely. Uh, and before we get going any further, we'd just like to say that we're recording tonight on um, Ngunnawal Country here in Canberra, and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Um, sovereignty was never ceded here in Australia, and um, we just want to express our solidarity with continuing struggles to end injustices uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Without further ado, uh, we're going to be covering uh, the following topics on this episode. Firstly, uh, Chile's constitutional reform pro uh, process, which one commentator has described as, quote, an earthquake that has shattered the foundations of the old political regime in Chile. Um, we're trying to find out why the recent constitutional and presidential elections are so incredible uh, in the results that they've turned out. Uh, and then we're going to be uh, recapping the coup, uh, events leading up to the coup in the 1970s, and we'll be talking about um, new revelations about the role of Australia's government in that coup. And uh, finally, we'll be trying to look towards the future, brighten things up a bit after all that depressing stuff, um, and talk about whether we're really going to be seeing the end of neoliberalism in Chile. Uh, and what inspiration and lessons we can take uh, organising Australia from this struggle. And we're at a moment where sort of all, all contradictions are made. Right? The byproduct of the crisis of contemporary capitalism this week in class politics. Classic fucking boomer. Old new left maintaining the relations of neoliberalism. Go! Capital! Go! Capital! Go! Capital! Go! 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 It's been nearly a year of tumultuous struggle in Chile, and we're very lucky to be talking to Jose Munoz, a uh, Canberra-based socialist, labour activist, and uh, former Chilean refugee. Thanks for being with us, Jose. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, Jose is a keen observer of developments of the struggles of working people in Chile, and he visited Chile during the 2019 revolt against the neoliberal constitution that has led to the massive shakeup of Chile's democracy. Thanks, Jose, for coming along. Uh, last time we spoke to you was, was in November of last year, and it was at a time a month after uh, the, was it, was it the, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it was after the referendum. That's right. That, that had been held in October, and that that referendum was about supporting a complete rewrite of the Chilean right. constitution or keeping it. Um, now, there's been a lot that's gone on since then. Um, we might just talk a little bit about where things are at now before we go and do a bit of a back to the future, yeah? Yeah. But in terms of the most recent developments, um, there has been, I guess, the emergence of this um, Frente Ampilio. Ampilio. Yeah, which is a, a movement of, a, I guess, a broad left is, is my understanding, a broad left it's of It's pretty much a broad, unstructured left. Um, it, 
there, there's a few pockets of, of people, but uh, uh, the main difference you have with the Frente Amplio uh, is also generational. So a, a lot of the people that came from the student movements in from the noughties up until now um, versus the other traditional left that, that we're all being used to in, in reading history. Yeah, and I guess this is the, the key break is what happening right now in Chile, which is the most exciting thing, is unlike the end of Pinochet's dictatorship has been this ab- incredible revolt, mainly very much read by, led by the young, which has seen, um, a, I mean, it's part of that rejection of the institutional politics that have been dominated since the, the 1990s. That's where, right. Um, this guy, Rene uh, Yohas from Binghampton University, he, he called it um, a, soci- a Chilean uh, sociologist. He, he wrote um, in the Jacobin magazine, what these elections have done has been to shatter the old partisan political system and open for the first time in over four decades the possibility of more substantive democratic reform in the country. What, where are we at? We've elected have they elected delegates now? So, What's going on with the presidential election? What's going on, Jose? Yep. So after the uh, the plebiscite to either t- to either approve or, or reject a body for a new constitution, uh, in May there was actually the election to see who was going to take part in this uh, uh, constituent process. And then, yeah, so that was in 17th of May. And now in uh, June, the actual convention process started formally. So the, the election to see who's going to make up that body happened in uh, in May. And that was seen as kind of the first uh, lay of the land, What was what, how things were going to be composed. The election was was uh, substantial there because a lo- it, it didn't uh, reflect how the polls were, were, were indicating. Uh, a good example is that, that the, the right, who have historically always had a, a good 40 plus percent of the vote, they thought they were going to get their people in and have at least uh, a third, which is interesting because when this process started to actually get the Constituent Assembly going, it was kind of decided that decisions were going to be made if two-thirds majority for the majority of the process. The huge surprise out of this was that the right did not make um, that, that third that they wanted. So at the moment, everyone elected to them, just that they're not having uh, the impact that they thought they would. So, Jose, am I right in thinking that, like, um, that, that um, two-thirds majority rule, that exists, come, that, that has carried right through from the Pinochet era um, constitution, and that's basically the way that the, the right in the modern era has been able to maintain some power during the last 30 years of um, of social democratic left parties, basically, right? That's exactly so right. So what, what changed recently um, to, to mean that they could no longer even manage to pull out one third of the vote to, to actually maintain their veto on, on the actual kind of transformative socialist policy that is now being talked about? I guess we're having this conversation now of, of moving the constitution forward and, and which ties in with presidential elections this year. Um, but this all started with the revolt of uh, 18th of October, uh, 2019. That eruption pretty much halted the whole country. Uh, there were the, the, from October till uh, 15th of November, there were uh, protests every day, every day throughout the whole country. In uh, November of 2019, the, the reps in the Congress made a roadmap pretty much to see what the process was going to be like because it was recognised that the majority of the population just saw the constitution uh, uh, as needed needed to be changed and to address all the issues to, uh, in regarding that. Now, w- with um, the explosion in in uh, 2019, 
there's always been a dissatisfaction with the with the political process uh, of the last 30 years. And um, the what you mentioned there, Jacob, with the two-thirds majority, it does come from, from, from those times as well. I mean, uh, it was always within the 1980 uh, constitution model, which was uh, uh, written under the Pinochet government, that any substantial change, you needed those two, that two-thirds majority for it happen. The total surprise was that the right were being completely rejected and, and seen as, as a problem uh, uh, within uh, the, the the political, but also the economic realities uh, of of daily existence, uh, which the right cannot escape. I mean, they, they, they were instrumental in, in creating all, the whole system. Jose, um, why don't you take us through the rest of the lay of the land in the constituent assembly there now? Um, what, what groups really are making up the, the non-right sectors? It's really, really interesting um, because the, we, we we've never seen uh, uh, the, the, this sort of layout before. Uh, now, um, out of 155 uh, representatives that, that were elected, the, the right-wing bloc uh, achieved uh, 37 um, members. The next group down, which is called the uh, Aprevo Dignidad, which is seen that, that broad left uh, together with the Communist Party. Um, it's interesting there because the Communist Party previously had been in a coalition with the, with the centre-left or previous governments, but because of the, the, the social explosion, it was pretty much a reassessment uh, that the country had moved on. And, and, and clearly that was, that was something that uh, um, they will always be leaning towards. They, they have uh, the next block of, of uh, 28 members. Then there's the next uh, chunk of representative was the old center-left uh, concertacion, which was always seen as, as the, pretty much as the, the, the center-left opposition, just one coalition, and then the right having the others. The, what... The, the Communist Party uh, previously and uh, huge chunks of the left were just never represented. And that was an occurrence because of how the constitution were written up. And, uh, um, and a lot of the, the regulations uh, concerning the, the, the electoral model as well. That center-left coalition, they make 25 uh, members. Now, the interesting bit is that um, out of the social movement, of, uh, out of the explosion from the social movements in, in 2019, the people that were active in that whole process also jumped in on the process of, of, of being um, uh, candidates for this constituents process. Now, um, they actually had a, about, a, about 30 reps all along who have been not aligned with any political sector at all. Uh, they've, they've been broadly uh, very left-wing, but yeah, they, they've emerged out of this. We haven't seen this before. Oh, and the other important thing also is that uh, a makeup of this whole body uh, also has uh, 17 uh, members from the First Nations. So that was, and, and there's a, a quite a number of them, the majority being the, the Mapuche, uh, um, the Mapuche Nation. So the fact that when they, the, this group first met for the first time, they had to elect a, a president who's going to be presiding to see how the process was going to look. And, and, and first of all, just to chunk out what, how they're going to be structured. Uh, they elected um, one of the reps from, from the Mapuche Nation, uh, Elisa Longcon, and um, just that having alone, just, just, that, just that, that act alone was, was a, a revolutionary because the Chilean state has never recognized the Mapuche, uh, always very informally, and, and now it was completely different. They, they made up in the old Congress uh, from the, that, that stopped in, in 1973, and right under just like the whole palaces of where um, the Republic first set up was there was uh, um, Elisa Lancon uh, dressed up in her First Nations garb, opening the, the whole process. So it's it, it very um, interesting and positive, and uh, 
it did confirm a few things of how things were leaning politically, uh, but it was seen as, a, 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 first of all, a huge blow to traditional established politics, the government and the governing coalition of, of the, the right-wing parties, which come from all sectors, from the very, very uh, extreme Pinochetista, uh, openly fascist, uh, to the more kind of mundane um, uh, versions of right-wingers that, that, that we see everywhere. Mm. Yeah, I was reading, Jose, like the Constituent Assembly like has what is it, 155 delegates. And, yeah. and, and to give people an idea of like just the complete rejection of the centre, uh, and in particular the, um, the Christian Democrats and the Socialists, right, and yeah, yeah. primarily. And so get, to give people an idea of the magnitude of defeat, I, I know I was reading that the Christian Democrats, which used to be this dominated, um, throughout the 90s and 2000, they elected only two delegates out of 155. Exactly. So that's to just sort of just give people an, uh, an idea of the just the the size of the the, the trouncing of um, uh, the, the centrists uh, in terms of that. And I, I and I guess what uh, this was always one of the things that people found I found fascinating. Wondering, I, th- I think there was a lot of people in Australia who after 1973. Um, there was a lot of solidarity. There was a lot of knowledge. People knew that things were bad in the in the in the seventies and eighties. Um, a lot of people, you know, really put in some um, really strong solidarity work to support the Chilean people. There were regular, you know, clandestine open and you know closed um, fights against the regime. We get to eighty nine, you know, eighty eight. Then you know, by nineteen ninety, you know, we've got this new world. And what we've seen since nineteen ninety is just being completely captive to this constitution imposed by by the dictatorship, by by Pinochet. So I think a lot of people in Australia don't, or even necessarily the West, they kind of don't really understand. It's like they don't really understand what's, what's happened and why. Um, I think a lot of people are just like, okay, it's all fine there. There's a democracy now. It's like, well, no, it's a bad copy of Tony Blair and the Clintons of the world yet again. Chile continued to be a, an experimental playground for neoliberalism because that's what Chile was. It was the place where uh, we had this horrible coup, and we'll, we, we can talk about that more, but they used it. Um, the, the Freedman boys and the boys, you know, those, those guys came in, you know, to advise and impose this neoliberal yeah. model. And they and, had total dominance of the yeah. economy, uh, um, sanctioned by Pinochet. And yeah. uh, and th- these aren't just kind of how we loosely associate. They're actually students of Milton Friedman from Chicago University. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Was invited by Pinochet and was yep. just given the economy and a platter to, to do as they wanted. And so right now what we've seen is like the, I guess is the key, key thing about like um, why this revolt has happened is because the constitution was never ripped up. The, the, the center never rejected the idea of neoliberal politics. It was and, never discussed. Yeah. Ever. It was yeah, just yeah. like, oh, this <laughs> is the way it is. So it's like, you know, you have a half revolution, you know, like not even a, you know, um, so to speak, I guess would be one way to, for, for an Australian audience to sort of understand where this has come from and why for a long time, uh, I know leftists were sort of scratching their heads like, oh, but they, I mean, didn't they have the, you know, the, the socialists and all the communist party and blah. I was like, but then not understanding the disengagement of the population there in, in Chile until recently yeah. with politics because they were just and, and they, until now, they're disgusted yeah. with what, what institutional parties have been doing. Well, Chomsky also, sorry, Jose, uh, Chomsky like makes the point that um, the, the decades of repression and violence depoliticized the population. 
you know, for, for a generation. That's right. So now we're seeing a new generation of people who don't haven't had didn't have direct experience of the dictatorship, um, and who have been exposed to global political movements um, through new technologies who have a new enthusiasm for politics. Uh, for a while there, politically, um, society was very numb and, and the constitution that Pinochet had written up and and all the regulations, uh, particularly around the electoral pro- uh, process and pretty much how to get elected, uh, pretty much had sewn in that the, the government oppositions were going to be um, pretty much from the old established uh, uh, political economic elite. Uh, they always remain the same. So what we saw in 89 was uh, a changing of the guard uh, for the political models and, and the uh, military uniforms were swapped for, for ties and suits. Um, and there was a formal change, but that never affected any aspect of the economy whatsoever. Um, so there was never a talk of... Uh, um, it, it was what they had cemented in, which were all... Uh, um, quite accustomed to Chile being the first kind of experimental ground, but uh, we, we've seen this in Britain, the US, Australia, uh, uh, pretty much the same what economic rationalism was going to be implying and, and their model of how society was to uh, advance with, with the, all the invisible hand of the economy, they're just uh, working in the background and things were going to solve themselves economically in, in, a, in a quite automatic way. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention the invisible hand of US aid, which um, comes and goes depending on the, the regime at the time. That's right. <laughs> um, I'm really interested, Jose, in this um, this coalition that's been formed between the Broad Front, Front Amplio, and um, the Communist Party. Um, and as we mentioned before, the Broad Front is this kind of group of different social movement parties that have come out of the student protests particularly, but also the feminist movement, um, and I think, you know, there are anarchists. The environmental movement is pretty much how, if, yeah. if we loosely want to put a framework to it, would be considered what the, the, the aspects of the new left from yeah. millennials coming into it yeah. and them being politicised, which, uh, of course, would have been very, very young of the last days of the dictatorship. Yeah. So it's a and, completely and, and different generation. Yeah. Uh, uh, common, what, common in their sort of sense of anti-capitalism. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and really... Uh, uh, a direct involvement from from social movements, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly uh, the student movement, which has been uh, fundamental, pretty much developed an an organised left opposition. That's where all kind of the the old well-defined political cadres were coming from and, and really cutting their teeth of, of just really looking at the example of education as, as, a, as a case study of what was wrong with the whole economy and um, just seeing how it's, everything's privatised, everything's being sold off and uh, public education hugely lost. The market set up a model that you can have the world-class education, but if you don't pay for it, um, it just pretty much doesn't doesn't apply to you. It's the same things you can see with the with the health system, completely decentralized, and and uh, uh, there's many examples that you see of how the political economy of the country just remained the same, and um, what people on the ground were seeing that what was what was uh, functionally wrong when um, education and health were pretty much the, they came at the foreground but the the actual makeup of uh, Frente Amplio comes from different groupings uh, 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 and 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 like I said before that that um, generational divide also it can be applied um, towards like the in comparison to uh, the Communist Party which has been very established I mean it's one of the the first communist parties uh, in the world 
and also their, their their involvement of themselves within um, uh, the, the social movements as well. So the, the, the convergence of uh, Communist Party and their Frente Ampli was seen as something uh, that had to take place. That was always that historically with every uh, left coalition throughout the Cold War and we can go back to, to pretty much all of the last century. Um, and uh, for the first time, they ran primaries. Uh, at the first time that, that they were with the, with the new, with the, all the political changes that have been happening, that politically it would make sense to, for them to do uh, form a coalition and pretty much an unofficial left because there's few pockets from the left here and there that uh, have even put up their own candidates at the moment that are completely unknown. But those observing um, the, the left in Chile is really the, the, this, this coalition of uh, uh, the uh, Pueblo Dignidad. They ran um, primaries and, and now in, in, in July. And uh, it was very interesting to see how, how, what, what, how the, the was going to take up. There were uh, the two candidates, um, uh, Gabriel Boric, uh, who was an ex-student leader from um, University of Chile in the, in the late uh, noughties, versus uh, the mayor in Santiago. Uh, a, a local mayor, uh, Daniel Hadoue, who is running a very uh, interesting, uh, interesting implementation within his own um, at level of a local government there, and within all the political observers, he was seen a, as a favorite to take out that that nomination from the, the, this coalition. And of course, sorry, I'm jumping ahead because I think I'm. I'm, I'm yeah, no, that, no, yeah, no, go ahead. That, yeah. uh, uh, of course, mm-hmm. Boric won won the the primary uh, by by a huge margin. Yeah. Um, the, the people looking at this were, were surprised by how much he won, um, but also it's very recognized that uh, uh, the, the candidate from the Communist Party made a lot of mistakes. And um, also it's got to be recognized that the media played a huge role into um, that anyone from the Communist Party would automatically uh, be at a, at a massive disadvantage because mm-hmm. every every uh, debate that they had or any public forum, he's getting questions about uh, Cuba and Venezuela. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that, that was something that was happening with it, that, yeah, he could not avoid being uh, uh, really targeted. And it was it was going to be a tough job for him to get up, but um, he was also seen as a guy who was the biggest threat from the left um, as well. Um, uh, Boric is seen a, a, as a character who um, has negotiated directly with formal politics, and, and he was the only figure from from the left that took part in this roadmap uh, that they signed off um, yeah. with the, the government, the the formal opposition, and himself. He actually, when the photo op came, he was front and center. Uh, pretty much seen as a, as a deal breaker, but um, this created a, a lot of distrust because he was seen as someone moving to the to the middle. But um, others were saying that he's kind of taking a bit of protagonism and and just uh, how how he was going to pave a way forward. Um, so I want to ask you about that, Jose. So like um, uh, at the end, when the sort of unrest came to an end um, in 2020, it was because um, Sebastian Piñera has come to the table, put out this agreement to sort of, you know, stop the unrest and we'll have a constitutional assembly. And the Communist Party was the only party uh, that refused to sign up to this. And, they were um, actually never involved. If they, were, right, they, were, right. they were sidelined immediately. But, of course, yeah, that, that, that's what it comes out on paper. But uh, they see. were even, uh, like, marginalised and not even discussed in the conversation, So, which made it very possible for Vorage. And it was also very, uh, um, very convenient for the president and the left to see that all sectors of the political spectrum are, are signing off on this, which uh, at the time, those who were protesting every day, who were being uh, uh, faced by... Um, 
by the riot cops and, and where people died. I mean, <laughs> um, there was, they, they were the ones who were like were really confronted by um, Boric signing up to this and saying that it was pretty much a betrayal of how the whole um, social uh, eruption has started uh, by, by selling this out. So that, that, that's, a, that, that's also a, a, view, a view within the left. But um, what we've seen up until now, when now Boric is the, the, the official candidate, is that he, he won by a lot. And, and the, the generational uh, aspects of the, uh, of, um, of the Chilean left have a lot to do with it as well. So he's seen as a figure that is um, a little bit softer for those who are really critical of, of, of the left. Certainly a figure now that he's being recognized as the official candidate of, of the left. And what I was going to, sorry, what I was going to say is that um, the Communist Party uh, are sticking with the deal. Yeah. Like even um, last week, I was seeing that some of the the, the MPs who was actually, they were actually from the student movement themselves around the same generation as Boric. They've been doing media stunts with him. And, and they were the, so the communist vote's very disciplined uh, and, and they'll sit by it. So there's any, any, um, discussion about a, a fragmented left because they're not happy with the candidate that, that ended up winning. Uh, um, I, I don't think they'll come too much, even though the, the, the left is so broad and, and the people that have emerged from the, the struggles of the social movement who are not linked to any of the, the past and present uh, formal left politics, uh, they've also uh, come up with, uh, through the constitution process as well. So there's a lot of new figures that are coming in, into it as well, and uh, which has been very interesting to observe, uh, particularly now that we, the constitutional convention election really gave a, um, that microscopic view that we wanted to see of what the, the lay of the land was like uh, after the, um, the social eruption. Isn't it like Boric was really, he read the room well, I, I think probably... Would, I mean, if historians are going to go back and look at, like, okay, so what what happened? Why did he go and sign? Why did he go to, you know, go and place himself um, to then be, you know, held down as a as a traitor by by some sectors? Is probably like, you know, there is an argument that perhaps he, he was able to read the room in the sense of that this is not me believing this. It's just thinking yeah, yeah. about the complete discrediting of the institutional parties, like all of them, the Communist Party were also discredited <laughs> because of their involvement with, you know, the previous centre-left governments, um, you know. I, it, they kind of remind me of, of union um, bureaucrats who want to own their candidates but not actually want to win the election um, <laughs> was, you know, probably be something something people might understand here is, you know, when you have that decades of deals and compromises and never actually fundamentally challenging the system, having a transformative agenda, that you can have this explosion that goes on that, you know, you can have new people in there and he's, Boric is one of these people who's been able to, yeah, he's got in there, yeah, maybe he's an opportunity, or he's just read, he's read the room and he's read the room in terms of coming from that, being able to, there are those disparate um, voices in, in the broad left that have gotten together around. Uh, I think historically, that's point. right, Ben. I think he'll be, he'll be seen as someone who, who read the room correctly. Um, at the time, the most criticism that he was taking from, we've got to say, the hard left, is that there were people mobilised every day all around the country in the streets. So you couldn't have a better environment to yeah. topple the president, which was the first demand of the whole thing, was to get rid of this president. That the, yeah. So... At the time, it was seen as a as a as a betrayal. 
Um, but I think overall now that actually does have a paved a, a way forward to change the constitution, something that before 2019 wasn't even in, in the zeitgeist at all. Like it just, it wasn't discussed because it was, it was deemed as something so impossible. Yeah. Um, and so, as well, I mean, um, I think there's a sense in which Boric and Pinera both kind of um, took a gamble and Boric has come out successful, Pinera not so. Um, because the right was expecting to be able to always keep a thumb on the scale throughout this constitutional process. Um, and it, now it looks like they're not going to be able to, um, which means that Boric has, has been very much vindicated in his decision to um, enter into the sort of institutional politics yeah. um, after, the, after the revolts. And for people's uh, uh, knowledge there, the political lead in Chile is very similar to what we see in the West, and particularly like in, in, in Australia. You have that 40-odd percent who always voted right-wing, very uh, religious, Catholic. Uh, and then you always had a, a good 40% who uh, uh, didn't identify as right-wing and, and were that, that opposition. But whichever way tilted the left or right-wing government was over, always by a very, very small margin. And because of the layout, both sides of politics, uh, you know, kind of uh, appeal towards the centre. And that's the, the fighting ground. That's where it happens. Well, that brings us to a really important question, I think, which is, is there any risk of the social Democrats and the Christian Democrats siding with the right on certain things during this constitutional process? That is the biggest fear at the moment, uh, to see how the whole thing's going to turn out, pretty much seeing how the right is going to be reacting out of this. And, and, and there's really, they control all the media. Uh, they, 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 even those not be played out in, in terms particularly of the Constituent Assembly, um, just what their long game's going to be is kind of scary as well. And it's likely that the kind of um, professional liberals um, who make up a lot of these social democratic parties um, are likely to be very sensitive to that, right? That's right. That's right. Mm. And you're already seeing a few characters who, um, of course, are having a a broad rejection because they've been seen so uh, uh, closely tied to the old institutions uh, and and the the political parties. So um, these people are there as well. So. Mm. And um, so with this um, Mapuche uh, woman being elected the president of the Constitutional Assembly, um, what's on the agenda? She's, it's her job now, I suppose, to set the agenda for the next for, for the and, first sittings, right? Um, yeah, so and what, they'll what pretty much how the, the, how the, uh, what the timetable was going to look like, uh, which uh, they'll have nine months to 12 months to write the whole constitution. Originally, I read somewhere that they had planned for maybe two years, but I mean, this is the time frame now. Um, so it could be as, as early as April uh, next year and uh, or July, depending on how, how it's going to be stretched out or not. So the first thing that was, they, they had to really organise themselves how decisions were going to be made. Uh, what we mentioned before about the two-thirds being very uh, historically uh, uh, prominent um, was also seen how pretty much part of the, the roadmap that was signed, um, that that was going to be the way forward. It's, it's huge. I mean, from, from a uh, societal point of view to, to even even acknowledge uh, our Indigenous uh, uh, nations, what were formally, it was just never done. You just kind of, they were discussed, they were saying that they they were regional. They, they lived somewhere else, they lived in the south. In other, so out of the whole, the Santiago-based, the elite there, they would never, yeah, it was. They never came into into an acknowledgement, and now to actually formally elect um, uh, an, an, an indigenous woman, it's really having a positive impact of what that convention can deliver. She she was elected by two more than two thirds of majority, and and that's 
kind of how people are voting because of how it's made up at the moment. So um, it's it's steaming forward really well. Um, mm. Recently, there was also, um, I'm not sure how it turned out, but also a very uh, close consideration to how, of how um, uh, non-binary sexes and the LGBT community were going to be involved. So something that we're all very familiar with and kind of from a new broader left sort of, um, sort of view. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's been pretty incredible. Just going from the revolt to this this process of uh, rewriting the constitution seems to have opened up all those opportunities for a whole lot of voices that that have not had a voice so much for well decades. Um, the unfinished business, I guess, Jose. And that's that's partly really exciting. Let, let's talk about the the presidential election stuff. So we've got the constituent uh, assemblies is meaning to rewrite the constitution. The left. Um, the broad left, if you like, has is dominating it. Um, what's the deal with the presidential election? Like, is there an election for the president? Like, is the president like the, the president has not just um, head of state stuff, but as well as other powers? Is that right? And, and what's going on with the normal running of government? That would probably be, you know, while there's a the rewrite of constitution going on, what's going on with the, the government that's normally there i don't even know who's this know. is a massive question of what's yeah. going to happen because the, the, the elections are november for this year uh the now six months on the end of the constitutional process will finish so we don't really know what this next president what his powers are going to be if it's going to be a he, he or she will be limited and uh they'll be placed in a, in a, there will be in a transitional process that they're not going to see their full term either mm. um so it really determines to be seen how 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 um, the, what the president will look like, but also acknowledging that now they'll be directed of what the new constitution will look like. Um, that's going to be very very interesting. Um, at the moment, with the presidential race, there are nine candidates, um, and uh, it, in Chile, the system's very uh, similar where they'll they'll do a first round and. Then, then it'll go a first round, and then the majority, the two, um, uh, the two, the the two candidates with the biggest majority will go on to the second round. Um, so you usually do see a bunch of little characters and little groupings uh, gathering their own presidential candidates, which they need um, a, a massive amount of signatures as well. So it's not something easy, but uh, you always see a, a massive uh, uh, field of candidates on the first round, then on the on. On the second round, it's where where things will get will get interesting. Look, we might we'll swing back to the the presidential election starts a little bit later in the show. Um, I think we're kind of covering like where things are at right now. Uh, I guess one of the things like look, it's September and 2021, and one of the things that always pops up in September, sadly for the last 20 years, is all of a sudden the Western world is just banging on about um, horrible terrorist attacks that ho- happened in a country in the northern hemisphere but often like what what gets buried and what people on the left have to talk routinely have to talk about is to try to continue that memory uh, of the coup of the other september 11 um in 1973 and i i think we wanted to just give people just an idea of like the significance of what have ha- was happening now in chile and where it's come from because like i mean it's such fertile ground on the Allende government in and of itself is something to look at just in terms of the incredible reforms they carried out in the early 1970s. Um, then it's brutal crushing and then we go from there. But I, I guess for for an Australian audience, a lot of people might not understand that Chile 
like Argentina and, and Brazil is one of these places where we have a lot in common with that. They are or could have been middle powers uh, in terms of, you know, the size of their economies and, and all the rest of it. But in but because of the US imperialism, but because of all sorts of interests of elites, has has had some pretty horrible things going on there. So look, just for a timeline for our listeners, and then we're going to talk about recent developments in Australia. So look, 1970, there was um there was the popular government, which was led by the, the Socialist Party, who was led by Allende, and it had a transformative program. They, amongst other things, included nationalisation of key bits of industry, um, incredible sort of welfare reforms, bring uh, battling poverty, increasing wages, um, in more democratic sort of processes, all the rest of it. Um, that government, from when it was elected on, was met the the incredible opposition. Um, from the elites and from uh, the US, who actively from day one sought to um, undermine. And, you know, there is the famous letters that were sent to um, representatives after the 1968 massacres in Indonesia. Um, do you remember that story, Jose? The, the one about Jakarta is coming. Yeah, Jakarta oh, is coming. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Jakarta is coming. Yeah, it was um, actually that was seen uh, graffiti around Santiago saying Jakarta is coming. Yeah, people don't know about that. That was the US's involvement with identifying uh, leftists, trade unionists, you know, broad left people. Like they didn't have anything particularly radical. They compiled lists for um, you know, religious extremists and uh, the military to, to line up, take people off to the middle of nowhere and kill them. And that example um, from uh, the late 60s that happened in Indonesia was um, they, they, the US <laughs> was quite happily going to tell people in Chile that that was going to happen to them. And, and also that's what kind of made the whole situation so shocking that it wasn't just to be the opposition, but it was actually to exterminate the opposition entirely by, by, by killing them or getting them out. So it, that alone uh, was also seen kind of like what, what the Nazis were doing. It was actually just to, to eliminate their opposition entirely forever. Yeah. Uh, I mean- so that, 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 was, that was the ambition that, uh, uh, they, try, that, that they tried. And, and what was really interesting from... From an Australian point of view and from a Western point of view, that that these are uh, democracies open to elections, and the election of Allende in Chile was the first openly Marxist government plan that was the, that was elected and embraced by the electoral system anyway. So Australians were always looking at it from uh, people from the ALP, uh, Euro communists were looking at this whole situation as well because of how they can implement it within uh, uh, within their own backyard. So Chile has always had a very, uh, always been observed very keenly by by uh, uh, lots of uh, uh, different sectors politically. From the left, it was also see how 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 we can implement massive change. So if you look at the at the, at the timeline there, uh, this was 1970, about two years before was the referendum uh, for our indigenous people. So the 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 wind of of social change uh, was something that that progressives were, were waiting on so pretty much saying this is our time we're, we're finally in a stage where we can actually uh, address all these problems in a in a world uh, context as well yeah and, that, and that's what makes so tragic the the crushing of the uh, the popular government uh, so on the 11th of September 1973 there's a military coup which is led by this fellow Augusto Pinochet which plenty of people should know about um, a man who never saw a dock um, yeah there were attempts to get him locked up in the UK uh, which failed they let him get out of the country in 1990 but um, look Pinochet led that country all the way through up to the late 80s um, when did he die? To ban 2005. Yeah, but when, they, when, he, 
when he got arrested, when he got arrested, it was in 1998. He was in Spain. Yeah. Uh, sorry, he was in Britain, and then the uh, the order to arrest him from a, a judge in Spain mm. uh, that, that, that carried through. So, uh, which he ended up pretty much just just beating that in in the UK, uh, claiming to be too old and and senile. But that yeah. was how he he got back to Chile. And uh, this is. I mean, we, you know, it's the, the collusion of Western powers with the, the crushing of the, the government of the Allende in the 70s, which has always been quite a shocking sort of thing. So, look, in, in 1980, the Pinochet's um, constitution is imposed, and which has sort of seen all this, it's the root problems of the, I guess, the half-finished situation of um, Italy, uh, of Chile's history in the last 30-odd years. Um, there was, you know, I, despite what was happening to um, people in Chile, there were... Uh, underground movements there were people who you know at times there were illegal strikes and movements that kicked off in the 80s that helped apply that pressure and then we saw the dictatorship removed and then in 1988 that gives us the sort of that's that bit and then we've had that next phase in Chile's history of um, yeah moving from a military authoritarian dictatorship to uh, a neoliberal uh, authoritarian um, not so authoritarian but Openly, but still there and presiding over a neoliberal. Um, uh, yeah, no, and it's interesting rule. just to to observing of, of where the left in Chile came from as well. That there was always an, an uh, organized opposition uh, yeah. from the the remaining of the, those those parties that were that were hunted down uh, by the secret police uh, and the military. There was always that that opposition that was being hunted down, and then we get to the nine. We get to nineteen nineties. We get the centre left, you know, the Christian Democrats and the uh, the socialists basically effectively for like for 20 years straight, basically going, hey, you know, neoliberalism is, it's like it's Tony Blair and Clinton, um, you know, their sort of stuff, you know, it's just, oh, there's nothing wrong. The market's fine. We'll, we'll have privatisation of everything. We'll privatise all the impension plans. We'll privatise the schools. We'll keep that going. We'll have privatised health and, and all the rest of it. And um, we'll continue to have anti-union laws that make it difficult for workers to actually have a better life. Uh, and on all those things, um, public transport, any, anything you could think of is just sort of shocking stuff. Everything, um, the only country where water 100% is privatised, uh, the, the coastline. Um, so that's what, we, that's what we're seeing. It was the most extreme uh, uh, examples of what the neoliberal model did. I mean, we've seen things being applied in, in Britain and, the, in, and here, but it was always with a much softer uh, approach because of, 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 of the opposition that in Chile they didn't get. Yeah, uh, and, and an example of this would be uh, university debt. Uh, I mean, with a hex system, you got to earn a certain amount till they start. Uh, you start being deducted over this as soon as you graduate. You will immediately start getting being in debt. That's just one of the examples uh, um, that, that that's all, they've seen the model fail them uh, entirely. Uh, the market is what um, where the interests uh, of them lie. And um, the point of view is you provide alternatives. So you can have uh, public or private education. It's a, a user pay system usually will give you a, a, a better situation. Same with health. They didn't eliminate the state options, but they just didn't fund them either. They completely decentralized any any funding. You can see that in, in this in, with the education model where all the schools and local campuses were given to the administration of local municipalities who at the end of the day have to beg for grants to get some money so they can actually, uh, models that we're all very familiar with of just waiting on grants just to see how things could be done locally. Um, I was going to say, it's it's like, 
you look at everything you ever read about Chile and the way it was running, and and even to, you know now, Clarice, it's just it's all a neoliberal sort of wet dream stuff. It's just you know um, just just shocking for the for elite. It's 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 everything's cool and dandy, but um, for you know for working people, for the very poor, for the poor. And one of the things that should be pointed out, Ben, with that, um, I mean. It's not like there wasn't any political will to get things changed, even from what the the, the framework of the constitution. Um, there's a constitutional tribunal that's appointed by the executive, who pretty much have an, a, a ruling veto of whatever Congress does. So, if you wanted to give, say, come up with a policy where you want to strengthen the uh, the, for, you want to strengthen, say, an example of an, an education, you want to really come up with a good with a good legislation uh the constitutional um uh, tribunal would just outrule it and out, it, out, it goes out the window um so the actual it's, constitution it's kind of a, and the model it's, itself doesn't allow you to even discuss anything because uh, it's mm. it's demands constitutional straight away because yeah. you're looking at the state of getting involved where the market has free reign that's a very kind of loose way of looking at it yeah, the Constitutional Tribunal is kind of a, um, a shortcut to the process that always happened in the US, where um, you pass a law and then uh, they'll, someone will push a test case up to the Supreme Court. Um, yeah. It's a more roundabout, roundabout way of doing the same thing. But basically, if you've got the judges on the Supreme Court, um, you can have it, basically anything struck down as unconstitutional. Yeah. Um, and there's a kind of this illusion that the body, this legis- this judicial body is somehow apolitical because they're appointed for life or mm. or whatever. I don't know what the, what they do in the constitutional tribunal of their lifetime appointments or if they're just kind of constantly cycling through. But I'd imagine they're very politically motivated and um, slightly administrative well. tribunal in Australia. Yeah, yeah, and they sort of, this sort of explains in in terms of like understanding why for a long time not um, there there has been revolts, but. Um, just that disillusionment of the majority of the Chilean um, population. Like, like the, in the early elections, like 90% of people registered to vote. They voted in, in huge numbers. Uh, but then over, you know, cons- you know, decades, well, years and years of being let down by the centre, um, they got to, in 2017, there was only under 40% of the population bothered turning out to vote. Um, it's interesting, Ben, even though so much has happened and we've seen such a, a burst of uh, grassroots activism happening, um, just with the constitutional election a few months ago, uh, only 43% uh, took part in the whole process. Wow. So it's just like, I mean, very similar uh, uh, situation, um, even though the, the, the vote's not enforced at all. So it's just like that's already been discarded. So if you don't sign up and actually enroll, uh, you're not part of the process at all, which... Uh, has kept generations of not being involved in the in the whole political process at all. I guess we're getting to like that timeline now where we're at now of all the exciting stuff. Um, really, like one of the things that's just one of the the key things that people should always remember about the history is just is just how shockingly bad things happened uh, to to Chile for over decades. Uh, and what's been really look, I'm really glad that the, the the documents have been released and we've known it for a long time, but. There was the news released over the weekend uh, about um, the Australian government's involvement in spy operations. Yeah, uh, declassified documents. A, yeah, acting as a um, proxy of for the United States because um, the Allende government weren't stupid. They told the Yanks to, you know, hey, no, no, you can't set up shop here. Thanks very much. 
Um, so the yeah, good old Australia in 1971, uh, they were um, operating as spies. As, um, as That's right. In, in 71, uh, Billy McMahon, actually the official, uh, gave the order for uh, a base, an intelligence base to set up by ISIS in Santiago. Yep, at the request of the United States. At the States. request of the, of the CIA as well. Yeah. Um, with the declassification of these documents, of what is seen as well, is just that um, the relationship between Australia and the US, we've always seen how we kind of were morally side by side with our allies and will go anywhere. Um, what's actually been um, uh, revealed is how it was mainly a transactional arrangement between the Americans mm. and, and, and ACES, and also how Australia was always like wanted to be involved if any, in any uh, way possible because of um, ambitions of being a Cold War warriors at the time and also to be uh, useful in, 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 the, in, the world, in the world of, what, of, of how the U.S. saw, saw their, their allies. But it was pretty much uh, uh, and, and understanding that um, Australia has, does a lot for, for, for the, their intelligence community there, but um, it's not the other way around. The CIA don't really care much about Australia and ACES. Yeah, um, th- I've just been teaching um, sort of end of the Vietnam War, and um, the phrase that uh, Reagan loved to use was the Vietnam syndrome, right? Um, which is what he used to describe the real sense of distaste amongst um, populations, like in Australia and the US, particularly um, for going and getting involved in foreign wars. Um, and in Australia, the response in sort of defence policy was to switch from forward defence, which was the, the policy of trying to induce the US and Britain to stay involved um, in Southeast Asia and to, um, to get ourselves into you know, any war we possibly could to prove our loyalty to the US, moving to sort of the defence of Australia or regional defence policy, right? But when public opinion turned against going to war, they didn't just stop going to war. They they started getting involved in secret wars. Um, and of course, the Reagan administration is the best example of this, but yeah. um, Nixon did it too. Um, and yeah, what we're learning now as well is that, um, you know, there's a lot of path dependency, a lot of momentum that meant that even Whitlam's government and Whitlam's government was instrumental in drafting these regional defence white papers. Where, oh, no, we're not going to go and get ourselves sucked into any foreign wars. But this path dependency where the Whitlam government, or Whitlam himself, obviously you know, knew that, you know, he, well, he, well, he was seeing, he was seeing what the CIA would do to a democratically elected popular socialist or democratic socialist government. Right. And so <laughs> I think like um, him saying, um, you know, when, when Whitlam's kind of um, sending the telegram to say, can you please stop doing this? You know, he's just coming to power in Australia and he's seen that we've got 20 um, odd ACES agents in Santiago and he's, he's realized that he couldn't possibly defend it right um and he sends a telegram saying um you're gonna have to pull out but please uh want to put a lot of emphasis on this um nothing you know we don't want to offend the cia we don't want to offend the us in general um please don't interpret us pulling out of santiago as um me not supporting what you're doing there um (laughs) which i know a lot of people including you ben like uh, I'm correctly being really critical of, right? Like this is, it's a pathetic kind of um, simping for, for Empire and for for um, the international intelligence services. But um, I also would just like to inject uh, a, one charitable reading, right? Which is that with <laughs> them, he was right, right? He, he did understand in some sense that um, if, it, if he was to be seen as publicly embarrassing or undermining the CIA and the US government, 
that he would be next because he was seeing what they were doing. Like he would have gotten into government and opened the files and been like, shit, you know, this is I'm next. And of course, you know, everyone's got their speculations about the dismissal, right? Woodland uh, yeah. 75. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, so. I think you might have gotten a Jakarta letter as well. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean the parallels might not the have helped him. Yeah, I think you're right, Jose. The parallels of the time frame is is actually quite disturbing if you think about um the the Whitlam government and how it's um, removed in 75. And you then think about these cables, you're right, Jacob, in terms of like, I mean, here we are, like one of the cable uh, a memo uh, that was sent that the directors who provided the verbal advice, the Prime Minister has decided that the station is to be closed. In giving this instruction, the Prime Minister told the director that he himself would have wished for the station to continue in existence, but was afraid that should it become publicly known, that, you know, MO9 was the name of the place, ACES, uh, he would find himself in an extremely difficult political situation. It's quite clear it would be impossible for him to pre- present um, the basic ACES presence in Santiago as being in direct Australian national interest. So, like, yeah, he's, he's very keen to um, not offend the US. There's that other quote in the, um, yeah, and I, in the article. I think it was in April about the, 73 where, where Whitman yeah. pulled the plug. So it was a few months yeah. before the coup. And uh, what's been proven is that um, even though the order was to, like, this disband that, that uh, station in, in, in Santiago, uh, was that access agents remained to well after the coup. Mm, right, right. Uh, but it has this vibe of, like, um, you know, a guy being invited out for, for beers, like late night beers or something after work and being like, fellas, I would love to, but the missus, I can't, you know. I would <laughs> love to, absolutely. Love spending time with you all, but I've got to go home. So, you know, it's not me. It's not me. It's the missus. But I do have to go, so I'll see you later. You know? Yeah, it's um, <laughs> definitely on the the, the grounds of a, a lame-ass partner excuse. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, the, this like, oh, look, I would have loved to keep it open, but, you know, like, yeah, but really, you know, very concerned not to um, upset the CIA. One of the things that really should be pointed out that um, – the setup of the base and they say when really implementing the coup themselves like i mean the the the, the basic structure of what how who carries a coup and what they got to do what they really were doing and australian involvement is that they were aiding in creating the climate where a coup would be the only way out of the political situation of a, gov- a government who can't govern yeah. um so that's what pretty much and and i think that what we're with them that would have been like the alarm bells and of creating an atmosphere either economically and and politically that that a coup and army and and making those swift changes are, are, are very um are politically are convenient mm-hmm. yeah because we've got to remember there was uh you know very much an orchestrated um capital flight from from mm-hmm. chile um the, before you know there was a lot of tremendous pressure applied on the on the government in terms of um the capitalist class you know trying to withdraw their you know their money so to speak from the place uh you know countries refusing to trade um those those sort of things going on tremendous diplomatic pressure and yeah you're right this would have been a, another part of that uh in terms of australia's involvement giving that um another little it's interesting, just a side note, I was listening to an interview that Philip Adams did with the, uh, the, the academic that actually fighting to get everything declassified, uh, yeah. was that um, the, the documents that he wants to classify are not only about Chile, but also about Cambodia. Yeah, right. And one of the weird things that he alludes to, but doesn't very loosely mentions, is that uh, the ambassador, the Australian ambassador in Cambodia, 
uh, right up until the late 60s there, ended up taking the posting of the ambassador in Chile. Uh, right. And and yes, yeah, so just the time frame. So he, the guy that was our ambassador in Santiago, had previously just been involved um, into yeah, very active situation in Cambodia there. Yeah, that's incredible. So yeah, yeah. So that's not the, alludes because uh, we don't we don't know what actually what's what what's actually translated. Though those details yeah. aren't revealed. But um, well, yeah, because look, people who are not sure of that history are going to remember that the, the US was involved in. in like just disgusting things in the early 1970s, uh, which basically effectively brought about a carpet mass bombing of Cambodia, uh, which yeah. resulted in the Khmer Rouge um, taking power out of the destruction of that state. and um, Which the US continued to support in the UN uh, right through to the 90s. Um, and the, um, the sort of massacres in Cambodia were only ended when the Vietnamese communists invaded Cambodia and put a stop to it. Um, yeah. But such was the spite of the West uh, against wow. the Vietnam for embarrassing them yeah. that the West continued to support the the Khmer Rouge in the UN um, for decades after the after yeah. the mass killings. So there you go. So there's really dark, horrible stuff in this timeline. Um, so, but look, I would say big shout out to to Dr. Clinton Fernandez, who's who's been putting in, uh, all these this work into the Administrative Appeals Tribunal to. Um, Roughly get, the national, to get the National Archives to release uh, the documents relating to um, ASIS's, that's the Australian Secret Intelligence Services operations in the 1970s in Chile, including the overthrow of Salvador Allende. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I know you said something to me. I mean, there's something you said the other day. It's not that, like, it wasn't surprising. Like, we'd had exposés in the late, in the early 80s, I think in 83. There were a number of quite high profile. There was, I was reading, there was a Four Corners report where there were Labor politicians who came out and talked about how disgusted they were that, you know, the Australian government had been involved in what they had. But I guess the thing is that they're actually finally, you know, getting access to these actual documents that, you know, hand on heart proves that um, the, you know, one wing, a wing of the, um, yeah, and I think what, um, uh, what's his name, Milton Fernandez, just wants to classify are those station reports now. You have to see what actually transpired. Yeah. Mm. So, look, listeners can check out. Look, there's uh, there's an article in the SBS. We'll, you know, we'll provide some links um, with this show. To check, check that one out because that's not behind a paywall. But, look, swinging back around to the, all the good, the good stuff, right? So, we've had 40-odd years, like, I mean, well, it's 48 years of pretty going from – there's been lots of horror, uh, but there's lots of hope going on now, though, isn't there, Jose? I mean, I think, like, swinging back, we've had, got the Constituent Assemblies meeting in Chile. We're going to have a presidential election in Chile in November. Um, my take on it is, like, I, I'm, I don't know. From what I've looked at, it talks about that there is some kind of momentum going on. The fact that you have people who are non-institutional players that have, like, they're not going to just go and do a deal with the centre, you know, like, oh, yeah, let's just go and do a deal. And the communists have probably had a generational change as well before it actually, oh, well, we don't actually need to do a deal with the with the, the centre-left, you know, the Christian Democrats again. Um, we could see something very uh, transformational happen in Chile, which I don't know what your views are, um, Jose, but this could see that, that constitution ripped up, neoliberalism ripped up as a founding um, government principles, and it will have implications for you know um, the re- the rest of South America and and beyond. Yeah, uh, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no. There's definitely a momentum there, which was unimaginable before end of 2019. Um, it, there's a, there's so many opportunity here as well. Uh, uh, one of the 
pleasing uh, uh, aspects of how this whole process is taken that it's taken through is that um, it also not only rejects the political and the economic model that it's had in the past, but also of the current establishment of, of, of political establishment. So these, um, and I think we can use the example of, of the of, of the independence that have come up through uh, the emergence of the social movement is that they were very anti-politician and a complete distrust of it. So even though they're taking part of a very formal uh, uh, political process, they're very anti-politicians. This very loosely uh, uh, observed. But what's been interesting with this whole constitutional uh, that they didn't, they don't just want to lock themselves away and kind of say we're going to be the, your representatives and we'll know what's best to what goes into this document. What's happened with the, with this process is that these reps want to go back to their constituents to actually report back and, 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 and ask for a bit of guidance. So that's something really pleasing and that, that seemed quite an organic thing that uh, none of these characters want to see themselves a, a, as a protagonist, but actually want, want to be uh, directed for, or mandated. Um, so it's, it, it's really one of the most pleasing things out of, out of this whole process. Um, that there's people who not only want to, um, uh, that just demand participation. They don't want to be locked out of any process. Um, they, they really want to want to take part in, in, in this change. Uh, and that's something really pleasing. However, uh, what final document we're going to get and, and how, what the president's uh, role and will look like in the next few years, we don't know, but... Um, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, goodwill out there. Uh, um, and now we'll see how it paves out. Um, uh, the, the, these independents, uh, uh, it was something completely um, surprising uh, just to see because everyone gets to be very cynical about um, how they, they view the, the, the Chilean uh, political field as well. So it's definitely seen as a plus. Yeah, I think um, the next couple of months are gonna. There's going to be so much more news coming out of Chile, and we'll be following it closely. But um, one thing that I think about is the broad front would do very well to follow the example of the Communist Party's discipline and their kind of ideological clarity, and to use that to to kind of keep themselves tight and discipline themselves, keep themselves from um, skewing too far to the centre or um, allowing themselves to be bullied by the sort of experienced institutionalists of the of the centre-left, right, and be influenced too far um, towards the centre. So um, it's a really positive thing that you've got um, sort of some remnants of the old left of really kind of staunch, disciplined organising there, as well as the organic elements that have come out of the student movements and everything. It's um, it's very promising. So, yeah. Yeah, and I've got to say this part of it is what the the left has always lived this reality like day in day out since the, the since the coup happened but uh for actually for the wider population and to really uh first of all accept that chile's history uh was already a, a bit of a milestone but actually now to to really have some cl- clarity of where the problems are coming from who's responsible for them and who we don't want involved in any 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 nation building uh, projects in the future. So the left has always been very very um, uh, you say disciplined, but also realistic as well. That they, they face so many uh, uh, such drastic opposition of wanting to be exterminated. Um, but the, those old traditions and and the connection to the social movements. Uh, I've got to say something we haven't touched on, but also the feminist movement, something that, that's massively this whole uh, uprising 
in has been massively feminist. There, there's so many good ground there. There's, there. there's a lot of good grassroots work being done and and hopefully we're going to see a, a, a good outcome out of, out of this. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic, even though it's the terrain is so difficult. And also what the right in Chile are capable of doing also doesn't doesn't waver from, from, from your mind at all. But um, yeah, I think things can look on the up and up. And uh, we're, we've, we've gotten further a lot more than, than what any observer would have ever predicted. No, it's absolutely inspiring stuff. And, and look, people should... Um, look out for whatever news they can about what's going on in Chile. Uh, we cover resources. Look, the the Jacobin in the US, which is a fantastic publication, they they put out over a number of platforms, but they do have the the Dig, uh, which is well, the Dig podcast. Yeah, that was yep. really interesting conversations they yep. had. Yeah. Yeah, and look, the Jacobin Radio, you can check that out. They do have some um, pretty good coverage of what's going on in, in Central and, and Southern America. There's there's some things there, but I, it, it is definitely an area. It doesn't get much coverage, um, the South, South America, much um, in, in, you know, in, the, in the Australian uh, sort of sphere. But So do keep an eye out on things. Is there any, any other ones you, you reckon um, worth having a look at, Jose? It's been so hard to find decent sources in English, in particular. It's been it's been really hard. I mean, uh, a lot of things. Is even your social media, uh, given yeah. one the the media in Chile are so monopolized and so tightly controlled mm. that um, I mean, particularly young people, they don't even watch the TV or the news or anything. So it's something that that if you really want to find out what's happening, uh, um, people will turn into social media uh, yeah. from from a day to day basis. Um, and look, there was something you said before. You're just reminding the situation at the moment in Chile. It does, it is one of those examples where, as a leftist, you can feel quite disheartened about um, feel. You know, when you look at statistics of like disenchantment, like alienation, meaning that people aren't engaging in the political process, um, so you know, atomized, not wanting to actually poke their heads above the parapet, type sort of thing. And had putting up with it for a long time. What I was, what struck me thinking about it was all those times that people in the nineties and in the thousands, those sections of of people in Chile, um, particularly students who routine, you know, every couple of years they'd lead some sort of revolt over fee hikes or whatever. But this this latest, um, the revolt in October nineteen. I mean, it was the high school students shutting down. The um the tubes. It all started, started with um schoolgirls from I think schoolgirls. from yeah. a year seven to year nine yeah. and, and and girls. It was mostly there were a few schools who I actually set up and it was uh in opposition to a hike of thirty pesos, which is equivalent to maybe at less than fifty cents. So that was the very start of it, and then uh, the students started shutting down uh, the stations of the metro. So yeah. within like a day or two, they shut down the whole city, and what was unexpected and no one foresaw was that the majority of population went out with them to protest about everything, not just about the, 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 the hike of the, of the metro prices. Um, and within a week, this was mm. like the whole country was shut down and people actively protesting every day. I guess it's an example of why you should always have a go, really, like, and try to get your ideas out and, and organise in your communities um, so that things can move very quickly. Um, That's right. You never know. Over years that you know, if you've been slugging away for years and years, all of a sudden, snap, bang. Because I know, like you know, a lot of left intellectuals were like, "Oh, we'll talk about Russian Revolution and whatever." Like, well, we've actually got these things happening right now in the real world, and this is an example of people going from a state of, 
you know, being really the foot down, apathetic, not 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 much, not much hope going on. Occasionally, people having a, having a crack, and then being bought off, and then you know things subside. And now we've got this explosion. It's the most trans- transformative thing that's happened. Um, the missed opportunity that didn't happen in '89. You know, like exactly. It's incredible. Uh, there was an old slogan from uh, when the campaign won when Pinochet got ousted, and there was a song, the jingle saying uh, "La alegría ya viene," saying that the happiness is, is it'll, it'll arrive soon. It's on its way. And what <laughs> every, pretty much that's the jingle saying "Ya viene" is like it's on its way. Happiness, it's on its way. And really, the analysis that it, those generations are still waiting for the happiness had never got 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 here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was something that is very very appropriate, but it, it's really um, people were dormant by day to day neoliberal living, and and this is something we experience in every country we can think of, uh, and then also quite simply to 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 expect that normal people can have some definition over the, their economic reality. Uh, the, it was also, again, they talked about the need for an economic revolution that was going to be after the political one. They will see what, really what democracy was going to be outlining and, and how it was going to be distributed amongst the people. Um, and that's something that's happening now where actually the, ch- the model is directly being uh, dismantled um, and we would have never thought that, uh, that this would happen at all. Like it was, uh, uh, in my mind, it was unconceivable. So there you go, listeners. Maybe um, one day you'll be able to go um, get out some some spray paint and go and do a bit of graffiti and put up, you know, Santiago is coming uh, with a smile on your face. I'm going to say one of the most common uh, ways of normal people showed protests and how they actually took part was really just a pot in a pan, go outside your front door and just bang away. And that's all. that was all a historic form of protest was saying that the pots and pans were empty and they were, that's why they were being sounded because there's nothing to put in them. Uh, so when people were actually every day, you know, the majority was pretty much with their neighbours uh, outside their houses, just making noise. And and, and um, it was actually cool stories. Came out a lot of people say, "Well, now I, I can I, I know my neighbour and I can actually talk to him about it, like because we just see each other every day." Um, so there's real real uh, street parties, even like it was just people just doing things at the most local level we can think of. Now, look, is there, is there anything else you, you want to add at all? This space still to be seen. Uh, I'll see what we're going to get out of this. Um, November will prove very interesting to see who's going to elect the, uh, the president. But um, but that's the very short term. And, and there's also the, the view out there that it's a bit of a hospital pass to be president at this coming election that um, you, we don't know how long that the, the president will be governing for. Might be mm. one year, might be three years, or, or and the, and then the the parameters that will be placed around. So, um, yeah, this is just watch this space. Thank you very much for being on, Jose. Thanks for having me. It's Thanks. been great, guys. Yeah, no, great it's great. Back, yeah, great, great to have you on the show again. And I'm sure, no doubt, we'll have you again. We're not necessarily just to talk Chile, but we'll, we'll get you on to have a, have a chat about whatever else is going on in the world. Uh, you've been listening to Dole Capital. We'll be back again soon. So do like I said. Um, so he's a patron uh, momentum there. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, become a patron. That, that really does help us upgrade our equipment and and all the rest of it. And again, big thank you to the comrades that have um, made a contribution to make this show happen. Um, thank you.